of uh, Facebook fan page as well. So welcome to the African History Network show. It is Wednesday, July 14th, 2021, and we are live. Call in numbers 313-778-7600. 313-778-7600 is the call in number if you have a question or comment. Now, you know, we've been talking about uh, what's going on with uh, the uh, For the People Act and the push to get the Voting Rights Act uh, passed in the U.S. Senate. Uh, to shut down the voter suppression laws that are being pushed in 48 state legislatures. And today, it, it, now, last Friday, when I was on Roland Martin Unfiltered, I talked, I talked about how um, corporations have been silent largely over the past couple of months or so as this new round of voter suppression laws have uh, been pushed and getting passed as well. There are about 18 states that have passed uh, voter suppression laws. Um, we see that in Texas, uh, we see that the Texas Democrats, is 51 Texas Democrats from the uh, Texas State House, they are meeting with uh, U.S. senators uh, in Washington, D.C. But also, this story came out uh, today dealing with how more than 150 companies back update to Voting Rights Act. More than 150 companies are backing an update to the Voting Rights Act, and, that, and, and they are specifically talking about the um, uh, John Lewis Voting Rights Bill, okay, the John Lewis Voting, Voting Rights Bill. Now, it's good that this, these 150 companies are finally speaking up. Companies like Pepsi and Amazon and Target uh, companies that African-Americans spend tens of billions of dollars with each year, okay, in total. Uh, but signing your name on the letter and actually putting economic pressure on Republicans in these state legislatures and telling them that if you pass this bill, we will not give you, we will not donate any more dollars to your uh, campaigns, that's something entirely different because that is actually what needs to happen. What actually needs to happen is they need to tell them if you if you push this bill through, we will not uh, give you any more financial support for your campaigns. That is what actually needs to happen. So we'll talk about uh, this new development uh, here. There's an article from uh, NBC News about it. And then we see that. Now, this story I did not get a chance to talk about on yesterday's show. And I said I want to make sure we talk about it uh, today. This deals with Jamaica. Okay. Now, a lot of people go to Jamaica for uh, vacation or they go to get their groove back, like Stella got her groove back. Uh, but when we talk about Jamaica, a lot of people don't make the connection between Jamaica and slavery so much. So Jamaica plans to seek reparations from Great Britain for slavery. There was an article from Reuters.com from July 12th dealing with this, as well as face-to-faceafrica.com uh, has a piece on this also. Uh, Jamaica plans to, to ask uh, Britain for compensation for the Atlantic slave trade in the former British colony, a senior government official said under a petition that could seek billions of pounds in reparations. 
And Face to Face Africa had an article dealing with how uh, Jamaica was going to petition the Queen of England for reparations. And they, and they should because uh, the, the royal family is a family of colonizers. As I've said before, the royal family is a family of colonizers. Okay. Um, so you, okay. Now those on Facebook, uh, y'all should be able to hear me on Facebook. Okay. The, the Royal family is, is a, is a family of colonizers. I'm not calling them colonizers because they're white. I'm not calling them colonizers because of the film black Panther. I'm calling them colonizers because a hundred years ago, one fifth of the world population lived under British rule. They were colonizers. They colonized one fifth of the world population. Okay. So we'll, 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 we'll give you an update on what's going on in Jamaica. And then, uh, it was a story I was looking for from yesterday when we talked about, uh, an update on what's going on in Haiti. Uh, there was a story that I saw from different uh, outlets suspect and assassination of Haitian president Jovenel Moise is former DEA source. Okay. Now, more and more questions come out each day. This this whole scenario gets stranger and stranger. Uh, we talked about the doctor uh, uh, yesterday who is uh, part, possibly suspected of uh, being involved in orchestrating this, the, the assassination. And then... We see uh, NBC News has this, has this piece here. Suspect in assassination of Haitian President Jovenel Moise is former DEA source. OK, um, so we'll talk about this as well. One of the suspects arrested in the assassination of President Jovenel Moise uh, is a former confidential source for the U.S. Drug Enforcement Agency. The agency said the DEA admitted that. One of the suspects who was arrested, who's believed to be involved in the assassination of President Jovenel Moise, is a former confidential source of the DA. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that if this person was involved in the assassination, that this was orchestrated by the DA. But it does mean the DA is admitting that this person is a former confidential source. The news was reported by the Miami Herald because I, I first saw this story from the Miami Herald. The news was reported by the Miami Herald, which said the suspect was first arrested over 20 years ago after allegedly providing false information for a U.S. passport application. OK, uh, so we'll talk uh, a little bit about that. And then Cuba. Cuba is in the news. There's protests in the streets of Cuba. And. Uh, when we look at Cuba, we see that they are protesting beyond this. Go the reason why they're protesting goes beyond the uh, embargo and the pandemic. There was a uh, piece I was looking at. Now, there's so much been going on. We haven't had a chance to talk really about Cuba and what's been what's been going on in Cuba, but. Uh, Cuba has been promising economic reforms for years that have not materialized. People don't have hope in getting out of the crisis, said an economist. 
uh, now Cuba has been grappling with acute shortages of food and medicine throughout the pandemic. People make lines for uh, blocks to buy whatever they can, whatever they can find at stores. Inflation and blackouts during the tropical summer heat have aggravated the situation. Now, this is what's going on in Cuba. Now, I want people to pay close attention to this. I just talked about Haiti, Jamaica, and Cuba. I just talked about Haiti, Jamaica, and Cuba. What do Haiti, Jamaica, and Cuba all have in common? Well, they all have, these are all countries that have African people in them. That's true, but that's not the main thing. One, the, the main thing that all three countries have in common is that all three countries were conquered by Christopher Columbus and the Spanish and colonized. And slavery was orchestrated in these three colonies by the Spanish first. And then it's going to be the British and it's going to be the French. We know 1492 um, Columbus on his first voyage, Columbus conquers the island of Hispaniola. And then the French are going to take the western portion of Hispaniola, call that St. Dominique, and then that's going to become Haiti. That's where the Haitian Revolution is taking place. We know that uh, Jamaica uh, was, was conquered in uh, about 1494 uh, by Columbus and then also uh, Cuba as well. This is on uh, Columbus's uh, four voyages. All right. These are going to be colonized first by the Spanish, by the Spanish. The, the, the British are going to take over Jamaica. All right. And colonize it also. So what we're looking at in the news right now are the repercussions of what happened 500 years ago. What we're looking at in the news right now are the repercussions of what happened 500 years ago. And this was also after the Moors lost control of their last stronghold in Spain, which was Granada, January 2nd, 1492. All this history is connected. All this history is connected. Okay, so we'll talk some about that and connect all those three countries together. Haiti, Jamaica, and Cuba. And they're all dealing with turmoil today. Largely, uh, Cuba and Haiti more so than Jamaica dealing with turmoil. But to Jamaica, uh, 600,000 Africans were taken out of Africa into Jamaica and enslaved. And Jamaica is seeking reparations from Great Britain in 2015, when when then Prime Minister David Cameron was uh, visiting, was preparing for a visit to uh, Jamaica, the Jamaicans were demanding an official apology for reparations, and they were uh, demanding uh, reparations. Okay, David Cameron who was the prime minister at the time of, of Great Britain, he said that he wasn't going to, he said uh, they weren't not, he said uh, Great Britain was not going to apologize for uh, reparations. I mean, he said Great Britain was not going to apologize for slavery. And then he said that Jamaica should move on. Okay, this is, let me, let me pull this article. I know we're coming up here on the break. I, I want to show you how, I want to show you how colonizers treat African people. 
I'm not calling them colonizers because they're white. I'm calling them colonizers because they colonize one fifth of the world population. This is from the guardian.com. Now this is a UK publication. This is from uh, 2015. Okay. This is, this is what they said. Let me show you this article here. Jamaica should move on. Jamaica should quote, move on from painful legacy of slavery End quote says Cameron, David Cameron, who this, this white man, they show you right here in the picture. He was the prime minister of Britain at the time. The Jamaicans were demanding an official apology for reparations for being colonized by the British. And David Cameron has called for Jamaica at the time in the UK to move on, quote unquote, move on from the deep wounds caused by slavery, but ducked official calls for Britain to apologize for its role for uh, for its role in slavery and for reparations. Speaking to the Caribbean country's parliament, the prime minister at the time, David Cameron in 2015, struck a defiant note as he spoke of his pride that Britain had played a part in abolishing the abhorrent slave trade. But you don't, but you don't, you were largely responsible for expanding the slave trade. You, and, and not only that, Cameron, when, when you all abolished the slave trade, you paid reparations to 46,000 British slave owners, but you didn't pay reparations to the Africans that you enslaved. Now you don't want to apologize for the slave trade and you don't want to pay reparations. You say it's time to move on. It's easy to move on when you have something to move with. The Jamaicans want what you stole from them. We'll do it this on the other side of the break. You're watching and listening to the African History Network show right here on 9, 10 a.m. Superstation Future Radio. I'm Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. Black on Purpose Television Network. Yes, Black on Purpose Television Network. All black, all positive, all the time. The largest black-owned streaming television network in the world. Bringing our people together worldwide. Controlling our messages our story, our way. Black TV, the way it should be. Black music, black history, and more. 30 plus channels, thousands of shows. Black on Purpose Television Network, subscribe now. Hi, I'm Joel Wilson, President and CEO of JCW Computer Consulting, LLC a technology implementation firm with over 20 years of satisfying customers. We offer a full spectrum of industry top-tier branded services. We are an authorized partner or reseller for Lenovo, Zoom, T-Mobile, Microsoft 365, and Surface tablets, Google Workspace, Acer, Asus, Samsung, PCmatic security software, and many more. Our online store features laptops, Chromebooks, computers, printers, accessories, and software. Businesses, take advantage of our free one-hour Zoom tech consultation and know we offer top nationwide high-speed internet service providers, voice over IP, and cellular phone services. Home users, don't miss our current in-stock Chromebook inventory. Please visit us at jcwcc.com or call 215-879-6701. Detroit's only African-American talk radio. 
Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 9, 10 a.m. The Superstation, the Future Radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotel. It is Wednesday, July 14th, 2021, and we are live. Calling numbers 313-778-7600. 313-778-7600 is the calling number. If you have a, a quick question or comment, 313-778-7600. Okay, uh, right before the break, we were talking about um, more than 150 companies have uh, have uh, backed updating the Voting Rights Act, and they're talking about the uh, uh, John Lewis uh, Voting Rights Act, which still has not been completely written. It still has to be completely written before the People Act. Um, that is uh, ready to be voted on. Okay, that needs to get passed also in the Senate has already been passed in the House of Representatives. And we're going to go to clip one here in just a second, Shakita. Uh, also, today, I want to do a follow up to the story that we dealt with yesterday, dealing with um, this brother right here, Hervis Rogers, Hervis Rogers. Okay, in Texas. Okay, to show you how the, the history of the past is still affecting us today. We know Texas came into the Union as a slaveholding state in 1845. We know that uh, the year after that, you had the Mexican-American War of 1846 uh, uh, to 1848. Then in 1848, with the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo, California, Arizona, New Mexico, Colorado, Utah, Nevada become part of the Union. The U.S. gets all that land from Mexico for about $15 million. Mexico loses one third of their land. Texas state constitution in 1876 had what's known as purity of the ballot box, had a clause purity ballot box. They discriminated against African-Americans uh, voting. We know in Texas they had all white primaries in 1918 where African-Americans were not able to vote uh, in, in, uh, in Texas. Okay. Now we talked about this story yesterday. This brother, Hervis Rogers, of Houston, Texas, was arrested for allegedly voting at, at a Texas, uh, G, uh, allegedly voting in March 2020. He's a, a, a former felon. He was released from prison in 2004. He's been on probation since 2004. His probation was set to uh, run out in June of uh, 2020. Okay. In 1995, Chris Rogers was arrested and sentenced to 25 years in prison for burglary uh, and intent to commit theft. He was put on parole May 20th, 2004, and his parole was set to end June 13th, 2020. Okay. Now he's being, we talked about this yesterday. He's being charged with two counts of illegally voting. Okay. Each count, his, 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 his bail was set at $100,000. All right. Now I, I want to, I want people to understand is he didn't kill somebody on the way to voting. He didn't kill somebody while he was standing in line for almost seven hours to vote. He's being prosecuted by a no good prosecutor in, in Texas, Ken Paxton, Republican Trump supporter. Okay. Who was begging Trump, who was trying to get a pardon from Trump also, by the way. And he's being charged with two counts of uh, illegally voting. Each count, he can get up to 20 years in prison. He's looking at he's looking at 40 years in prison. OK. And uh, the, the arrest. So he was arrested. Um, he was 
prosecuted by Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton's office for allegedly voting illegally. They said that he would they said in the state of Texas, you're not eligible to vote until you have completed parole. He's been out of he's been out of prison. He's been out of prison for 16 years. He's been out of prison for 16 years and he thought he could legally vote. Okay. Would you, you're not going to stand in line for almost seven hours to commit a felony. Then he did a, he did a media interview right after he voted because he was the last person uh, in line to vote. If you're going to commit a felony, you're not going to do it in a TV interview afterwards. This brother's bail, it was set at a hundred thousand dollars. He didn't kill anybody. He didn't, he didn't rob anybody here when he was voting. Okay. His bail was set at a hundred thousand dollars. Okay. But now you have a whole lot of people who will complain about this. Now, the, as we said yesterday, the ACL Texas is uh, helping him and they, uh, they, they, you know, they um, help with his bond uh, as well. But attorney general is an elected position. Attorney general is elected position. So all the people who say voting doesn't matter, explain to me why are they trying to pass these voter restriction bills in Texas to make it harder for people to vote? And Texas is becoming less white. And a lot of Republicans are scared of this. And they're trying to make an example out of Herbert Rogers. And this brother could get 40 years in prison for voting once. And he it's not like he impersonated somebody. It's not like he voted 10 times. He voted once. Okay. Well, uh, I, I heard the I heard the news yesterday and and did not get a chance to talk about it on uh, on the show. But uh, attorney S. Lee Merritt, attorney S. Lee Merritt is running for attorney general. He announced it uh, yesterday, Tuesday, uh, July 13th. He's running for attorney general and he's running against the no good uh, attorney general of the state of Texas, Ken Paxton. See, this is an example of how elections have consequences. This is why they're trying to suppress the vote in in Texas and these other states. Everything they do to us, they use the law to do it. Everything they do to us, they use the law to do it. Then when we catch them breaking the law, they go get an attorney of the law to then debate breaking the law in what's called the court of law. Everything they do to us, they use the law to do it. So we have to understand the law better than they understand the law. So we understand how to defend against this and don't get caught in the booby traps and the pitfalls. And we can disarm them of that weapon and use it against them, beat the hell out of them with it. Figuratively, not literally, because we're nonviolent people. Civil rights attorney Lee Merritt, a Democrat, launches campaign against Republican Attorney General Kenton and it's Kim Paxton's office that's prosecuting Herbert Rogers for voting one time under his name after he's been out of prison for 16 years and charges and, and, and set this brother's bail at a hundred thousand dollars and he's looking at 40 years in prison. This is why you have to vote these jackasses out of office because if you don't, they're going to continue to treat us the way they treat us. Elections have consequences and repercussions. And we don't have to tolerate this. What you do for yourself, what you do to yourself and what you allow other people to do to you and get away with is based upon what you think about yourself. What you think about yourself is based upon what you have been taught about yourself. What you've been taught about yourself is based upon everything you've read, heard and seen about yourself. This is why 
I don't call our people the N-word. This is why I don't call our women B's and H's and things like this. Because when you use those negative pejorative terms for our people, they sink in subconsciously and you start acting according to the program. They sink in subconsciously and you start acting accordingly to the program. We'll talk about this also. Now, on the African History Network show, we talk about educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world because right now it's correct wrong behavior. What you do for yourself, what you do to yourself, and what you allow other people to do to you and get away with is based upon what you think about yourself. We deal with a number of different topics here. We deal with current events in history and politics, education, economic empowerment, entrepreneurship, relationships, love, sex, health issues, and much, much more. Sign up for our email newsletter. Text the word Kemet, K-E-M-E-T, the 22828. To sign up for our email newsletter, text the word Kemet, K-E-M-E-T, the 22828. To sign up for our email newsletter, also visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. If you like this type of information, you can support the African History Network. We definitely need your support. All this stuff don't happen on its own. Believe me. Dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App. Dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App. Also through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. PayPal.me forward slash the AHN show. Okay. Um, and we also have the information at our website, uh, African History Network.com. Okay. And we'll, we'll post this here as well. All right. I, I want to go to uh, clip number one, Shakita. This is dealing with more than 150 companies uh, back update to Voting Rights Act. Let's go to this clip from NBC News. More, more major businesses like Pepsi. Macy's, Ikea, and Nestle USA signed on to a letter supporting the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act. More than 100. Go ahead. Go ahead. Please, please. Go ahead. First to pass the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act. Do you get the sense that the corporate pressure might have an effect in Texas, or is that really not something lawmakers there are paying attention to? Right. Uh, my colleague, Jane Tim, really reported that story out uh, very well. But here's the thing about that. A few months ago, when the regular session was going on, uh, companies here in Texas specifically signed on to a similar letter, uh, putting pressure, saying that they did not want to see more restrictive voting uh, provisions and rules being put into place. And here we are. Several weeks after that has happened, and this fight is still ongoing at the Texas legislature. That did not seem to have an impact here. We will see if these uh, some of these larger uh, national, international companies can have an impact here. But uh, Republicans seem pretty set on moving forward with this uh, and getting through the governor's agenda, which, of course, includes these new, more restrictive voting bills. Ellison, okay, Priscilla Thompson, thank you so much. Okay, that's Priscilla Thompson reporting for... Um NBC News. So if we look at this article here quickly from uh, uh, NBC News, more than 150 companies back update to Voting Rights Act. Major businesses like Pepsi, Macy's, Ikea and Nestle signed on to a letter uh, supporting the John Lewis Voting Rights uh, Advancement Act. OK, now they should be signing on to support the For the People Act, because that's a broader that's a, the, the, for the For the People Act does more. And the John Lewis bill has not been finished. Uh, they haven't finished writing the John Lewis bill. They finished writing the uh, For the People Act and the For the People Act has also uh, passed the uh, House of Representatives already. It passed the House of Representatives um, and it's uh, in the Senate. 
uh, right now. Okay. So if we look at this uh, article here from uh, NBC News, let me go to this here. All right, hold on just a second. Okay, so uh, the signatories are all U.S. employers. More than 150 companies uh, have put their support behind updating the Voting Rights Act in a letter released on Wednesday, July 14th, 2021. Uh, the signatories are all U.S. employers. They urge Congress to enact the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act legislation that will restore a key provision of the 1965 uh, Voting Rights Act that was stripped out by the Supreme Court in the 2013 Supreme Court case known as Shelby County versus Holder. And that struck down Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act that weakened Section 5, which dealt with the oversight. And what the oversight dealt with was uh, any state that or any municipality that wanted to change uh, locations of polling, uh, of polling locations. They wanted to change how many weekends you could do souls to the poll voting. They, if you wanted to change the, the times that the polls are open or anything like this, they had to get approval from a federal judge. That was the federal oversight. And that, and that had to do, uh, that, that specifically dealt with, uh, states and territories, cities that had a history of putting obstacles in the way of African Americans, especially African Americans voting. That's part of the 1965 Voting Rights Act. Okay. When that was struck down at U.S. Supreme Court case, uh, Shelby County versus Holder 2013, within 24 hours, states started passing election uh, bills. Within 24 hours of that, of that ruling, states started passing uh, voter restriction bills. In the 2016 presidential election, there were 868 fewer polling places. Okay. 868 fewer polling places in the 2016 presidential election because of that U.S. Supreme Court case, a Shelby County versus Holder, that many people still don't understand today and the significance of that Supreme Court case. All right. And these are, these are Republicans trying to take us back to 1898 uh, Williams versus Mississippi U.S. Supreme Court case of 1898 where the poll taxes and the literacy tests that were uh, uh, passed in the Mississippi State Constitution in 1890 that was challenged in this U.S. Supreme Court case in 1898 Williams versus Mississippi and the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that it was not unconstitutional to have poll taxes and literacy tests and they were targeting African Americans. Then you're going to have the grandfather Father clause clause eighteen ninety eight, meaning that uh, uh, if your if your grandfather uh, couldn't vote because he was a slave, then therefore you can't vote. Okay, or if your if you if your uh, if your grandfather could vote, then you can vote. Okay, read this article from the Nation dot com. There are eight hundred and sixty eight fewer places to vote in twenty sixteen because the Supreme Court gutted the Voting Rights Act. We're still feeling the repercussions today from this. Nearly half of counties that previously voting changes with the federal government have cut polling places this election. Now this is from November 4th, 2016. This was four days before the no November 8th, 2016 presidential election that Donald Trump won because he won the electoral college votes in uh, 
uh, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. Okay, he 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 won those three battleground states by seventy eight thousand votes, and he won the electoral college votes associated with uh, uh, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. All right, because we m- many of us still don't understand how the electoral college works. So so when I hear people say. Oh, the popular vote doesn't matter. The popular vote does matter. It's the popular vote per state that matters. It's the popular vote per state that matters because the way you win the electoral college votes associated with a state to get the 270 electoral college votes overall to become president elect is by winning the electoral college votes associated with a state. Well, how do you win the electoral college votes associated with a state? You have to win the popular vote in the state. This is this is why all this is connected. You have to win the popular vote in a state like the state of Michigan, the state of New York, to get the 16 electoral college votes associated with the state of Michigan. To become president elect. Okay, so so Joe Biden became president elect. Um, It was a few days after because they were still counting and they were figuring out in Arizona what's going on. But Trump became president elect. The morning of November 9th, 2016, because he exceeded 270 electoral college votes. OK, it's not because electoral college voted because electoral college doesn't vote until the first Monday following the second Wednesday in December. That fell on December 19th in 2016. That's when the electoral college vote, electoral college actually votes and, and you know, actually votes. OK, but he became president elect because he exceeded 270 electoral college votes. He got 306, which is the same number that Joe Biden ended up with, 306. Okay? So we have to understand how all this works. So when I hear people say, oh, the popular vote doesn't matter, it does matter. That's why Republicans work so hard to suppress the popular vote. But it's the popular vote per state that matters, not the national popular vote. So you got this right here, 868 fewer polling places in uh, 2016. Okay, they impacted not just the 2016 presidential election, okay, but it also impacted the midterm elections of 2018. So then we look at today, there are approximately, I think it's about 1,600 uh, uh, fewer fewer polling places. Uh, Where is that article here? Let me find this one here. About 1,600 fewer polling places. Yeah. Uh, Newsmax had an article. Mother Jones this is the one I want right here from motherjones.com. Now, this this is from September 10th, 2019. September 10th, 2019. This article right here. Let's look at this. This is this is why you see what's going on in these 48 state legislatures and Republicans trying to pass 300 and uh, about 381 voter restriction bills. More than 1600 polling places have closed since the Supreme Court gutted voting right, gutted the Voting Rights Act. More than 1600 polling places across the country have closed since the Supreme Court gutted the Voting Rights Act. Now, this is from September 10th, 2019, November of 2016. It was 868 fewer polling places. It almost doubled. It almost doubled uh, three years later. See, we, we don't understand that we don't understand. 
In 2013, the Supreme Court gutted a core provision of the Voting Rights Act, the requirement for certain states with a history of voter discrimination to, quote, pre-clear, to pre-clear changes in their election laws with the federal for decades. The 1965 law helped secure the right to vote for hundreds of thousands of people in nine states, as well as certain juris jurisdictions in six other states, which had such a history of discrimination against minorities. But the 5-4 decision in the U.S. Supreme Court case of Shelby County versus Holder in Shelby County is in Alabama. Alabama was ground zero. Alabama's where Selma was. That's where the Selma to Montgomery March was in 1965. That's where Bloody Sunday was, March 7th, 1965. And they were trying to, the, the, the civil rights protesters were trying to cross the Edmund Pettus Bridge. Okay. The, Alabama was ground zero for the Voting Rights Act in the fight for the Voting Rights Act in 1965. But in the 5-4 decision in Shelby County versus Holder, the court ruled that the coverage formula for determining those jurisdictions subject subject to preclearance was outdated and therefore unconstitutional. Okay. Everything they do to us, they use the law to do it. Then when we catch them breaking the law, they go get an attorney of the law to debate about breaking the law in what's known as the court of law. So we have to understand a better than they do to understand how to maneuver through it, not get caught up in it and disarm them with this weapon and beat the hell out of them with it. Figuratively, not literally, because we're nonviolent people. More than 1,600 people, more than 1,600 polling places have closed since the Supreme Court, the Voting Rights Act. Okay, read this from MotherJones.com, September 10th, 2019. Now, let's go to, um, I want to go to, oh, okay, let's go back to this. Yeah, we're going to go to clip, we're going to go to clip two in just a second, uh, Shakita. All right. I want to go back to this piece here from uh, NBC News dealing with the 150 corporations. Oh, also, this this one here from um, Associated Press is uh, really important. This d explains the difference between this article explains the difference between uh, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act and the For the People Act. OK, read this piece here from. Um, read, read this piece here from, um, the Associated Press, Ex uh, the difference between Democrats, two voting bills, June 9th, 2021. We'll talk about this, uh, on tomorrow's show. All right. Now, uh, let me go back to this one here from. NBC news. Okay, so the letter that these 150 plus uh, corporations signed, the letter made no mention of Republicans' efforts to tighten voting rules across the country after uh, former uh, after the traitor in chief Donald Trump's election loss, focusing instead on deep inequities exposed by the 2020 contest and and quote how our our elections are run end quote. Um, the letter obtained by NBC News said, despite decades of progress, impediments to exercising the right to vote persist in many states. Impediments, let me see, imp impediments uh, 
to exercising the right to vote persists in many states, especially for communities of color. We need federal protections to safeguard this fundamental fundamental right for all Americans. Uh, uh, the letter uh, stated. Now, the legislation was named in honor of Representative John Lewis of Georgia, longtime civil rights activist and uh, uh, former Democrat and leader of the civil rights movement who died last year, 2020. It was passed by the House uh, last Congress, but that bill and the For the People Act, a more sweeping Democratic-led voting measure, faced long odds in the Senate, okay? Now, it has to be the Senate version. They're working on the Senate version now, okay? Um, President Joe Biden, who has faced growing pressure from Democratic uh, activists and even close allies uh, to more aggressively, uh, Joe Biden, who has faced growing pressure from Democratic activists and even close allies to more aggressively push the issue of voting access, repeated his call for Congress to pass those bills in the speech Tuesday, yesterday. So we talked about that on yesterday's show. Now, the letter comes after dozens of Texas Democrats fled the state of Texas for Washington, D.C. to try and block a restrictive voting law from being passed. Uh, The members of the state house will attempt to run out the clock on a special session of the legislature while lobbying Congress for federal legislation, particularly particularly the For the People Act. Um, several signatories, including Pepsi, Macy's, Ikea, and Nestle appear to be taking a stand on voting access and federal, uh, voting legislation for the first time, while other signatories such as Amazon, Pat, uh, Patagonia, Cisco, and Target have spoken out against voting restrictions. Okay. Uh, this spring, hundreds of corporations and business leaders voiced support for voting rights and oppose Republican-led restrictions being considered or enacted in states like Georgia and Texas. Now, in the month of June, this did not get a lot of coverage in the month of June. In the month of June, more than 70 companies said they supported passage of the For the People Act, Democrats' uh, priority piece of voting legislation. It was filibustered by uh, Senate Republicans the very next day. Now, this is good that there's this is good that these these corporations are saying this. What they're not saying is that they're not going to give any more money to Republicans in the state legislatures that vote for these re, uh, restrictive bills, because that's that's what they really should be saying. You can sign the letter, but you need to you need to put some force behind these words and tell these Republicans in these state legislatures, if you sign these voter restriction bills, We're not going to give you any more funding. We're not going to make any more donations to your campaigns. Okay, so check out uh, check out this piece here from uh, uh, NBC News. Now, uh, I want to go to this next story and I need to send you. uh, This clip here, Uh, we want to talk about uh, Cuba next and what's going on with Cuba. So while we get that. While we get that queued up, we get that together. Let me. Um, okay. Sending you clip two and three. Um, okay. I just sent that to you. All right. Uh, so uh, let's talk about 
uh, what's going on um, in Cuba. So we see these different islands, these different island countries in the news. We see chaos in Cuba as well as in Haiti. All right. And people are asking, what's going on? What's going on? Like, like Marvin Gaye said, what's going on? Well, we're looking at the consequences of, uh, of what happened 500 years ago. We're looking at the consequences of what happened 500 years ago. If we look at this piece here from uh, NBC News, this is why has Cuba exploded in protests? Okay, we're going to go to clip two as soon as you get it queued up. Uh, why has Cuba exploded in protests? It goes beyond the U.S. embargo and the pandemic. Um, analysis. Uh, uh, Cuba has been promising economic reforms for years that have not materialized. OK, people don't have hope in getting out of the crisis, said an economist. Now, now this is from July 13th, 2021, updated July 14th, 2021. Although she, uh, let me see, uh, Cuba has been grappling with acute shortages of food and medicine throughout the pandemic. People make lines for blocks to buy whatever they can, whatever they can find at stores. Inflation and blackouts during the tropical summer heat, during the tropical summer heat have aggravated the situation. Cuba's government blames the economic crisis Squarely on the decades old U.S. trade embargo on Cuba, uh, which was tightened by the Trump administration, as well as on the fallout from the COVID-19 pandemic. In a speech uh, on Monday, President Miguel Diaz-Canal said the U.S. quote politics of economic asphyxiation, end quote, was having a cumulative effect on Cuba. Um, I want to go to this clip um, here. This is from uh, uh, NBC Nightly News uh, inside the anti-Cuban government uh, showdown. I think this is the right one. Yeah. Inside the anti-Cuban government showdown, many Cuban Americans are worried about family members in Cuba where people are grappling with dire food shortages, rising COVID-19 cases and a communist dictatorship that is cutting off the internet while protesters cry out for help. Let's go to this clip. A third day of protests in Miami. A change coming, and it's time for a change. Some demonstrators blocking traffic. Many Cuban Americans worried about family back home. This is now a life or death situation where Cubans on the island are grappling with dire food shortages, rising COVID cases, and a communist dictatorship that's cutting off the internet while protesters cry out for help. They are starving, literally there are food shortages, there are medical shortages, and the Cuban people need help. What's it going to take? What's it going to happen now? When is it going to happen? Their outrage and desperation, captured by a viral hit song called Patria y Vida, meaning home and life, a spin on the communist-era slogan, Patria o Muerte, meaning homeland or death. Keeping musician Josué Romero, who fled Cuba 25 years ago, is one of its creators. 
You change that slogan. Cambiamos la muerte por la vida. You change death for life. Yeah, of course. Yeah. We need life. We need life. Yeah. And the most important thing. The most important thing. The most important thing. He says they are fighting because their family on the island cannot. Just today, activist Dina Stantz was arrested by Cuban authorities while expressing her views to a Spanish news channel. Romero was on the show when it happened live. You thought that that could have been my daughter. No one knows where she is. The Biden administration is not intervening, but issued a statement in support of the Cuban people. This, as Cuba's president, blames protests on the U.S. government and its embargo. But Romero says this movement is for Cubans and by Cubans. There's nothing more beautiful than freedom. And this, he says, is just the beginning. They need the freedom. They deserve it. It's been long enough. It's enough. It's enough already. Morgan Radford, NBC News, Miami. Okay, uh, check check out this uh, check out this article also from facetofaceafrica.com. How this hip hop song by Afro Cubans inspired rare protests in Cuba. This is what they were just talking about in this clip. It's this hip hop song that has inspired this Cuban hip hop song that has inspired these protests. This is from July 14th, 2021. All right. Hey, if you like this type of information, you can support the African History Network. Dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App. Dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App. Also through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. Those watching on Facebook and YouTube, keep watching uh, on my the, on the African History Network. We're going to keep broadcasting for a few more minutes. Uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Right now, it's correct for your own behavior. We're kind of forever. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace. All right, stand by, everybody. Stand by. We'll be here for a few more minutes. How's everybody doing? Share this broadcasting on social media platforms. Invite your fans to tune in also. Uh, click on uh, Click on the like button the heart, whatever, click on the uh, thumbs up button. Uh, if you like this type of information as well, this will help it perform better uh, in the algorithms. All right. So we, we talked about Cuba. Um, so we have Jamaica, we have Haiti, we have Cuba uh, in the news. Okay. And let me put this up here just a second. All right. Now, who still needs to uh, register also for the. Uh, who still needs to register for the 10 week online course that I teach uh, on Sundays, uh, ancient Kemet, the Moors and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. This is a 10 week online course uh, that I teach. Uh, this class meets on Sundays. Uh, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We deal with thousands of years of history and deal with what led up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. Uh, if you visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com is right on the home page uh, of our website. And you scroll down, click on register here. So uh, this class, we do the class live. All the sessions are recorded. You can go back and watch it over and over and over again. Next class is Sunday, July 18th. Okay. Click right here. Register here. It takes you to the next page and uh, click on enroll. The class is regularly $130 is on sale. $80. Uh, do a PowerPoint presentation. We have book article, we have book references, articles, video clips, guest speakers. 
And we deal with ancient Africa, ancient Kemet, ancient Egypt, uh, Ethiopia, uh, Nubia. Uh, we deal with great African civilizations, Ghana, Songhai, Mali. We deal with the 800-year occupation of Europe by the Africans known as the Moors. And we deal with what leads up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place so we can better understand it. All right. And that greatly, that greatly impacts what we're dealing with today. The, the, the legacy of the Civil War, Juneteenth, Reconstruction, Jim Crow era, all that impacts what's taking place today. So we just posted the link here. As soon as you register, you can start watching the content. You can start watching the class uh, uh, that we just did Sunday. And then also uh, as a bonus, you'll get the uh, content from I have a Saturday class of the, the uh, Saturday section of the class that's wrapping up and you get that course content as well. So you get classes one through nine of the Saturday class and you can start watching that content also as soon as you register. It's on demand. Uh, you can ask questions during class. Also, we have a, a live text chat so you can see me. I can't see you, but you can ask questions in class uh, as well. All right. So let's continue. We'll be here for a few more minutes. Um, I want to go to this next uh, this story here dealing with Haiti and this update from Haiti. Uh, this is we we talked briefly about this yesterday, but uh, I was looking for this article and didn't have a chance to find it on Tuesday's show. Um, suspect in. Uh, assassination of Haitian President Jovenel Moise is former DEA source. Okay, so this story, you know, this whole thing gets gets. Uh, the more information comes out, the more questions uh, I ha I have. Okay, the more information comes out, the more questions I have behind this assassination. So, uh, one of the suspects arrested in the assassination of Haitian President Jovenel Moise is a former confidential source for the DEA, Drug Enforcement uh, Administration, uh, the agency said. Now, the um, the news was reported by the Miami Herald. That's where I first saw this story, which said the suspect was first arrested over 20 years ago after allegedly providing false information for a U.S. passport. Um. The DEA said in a statement to NBC News, quote, at times, one of the suspects in the assassination of Haitian President Jovenel Moise was a confidential source to the DEA. Confidential source to the DEA following the assassination of President Jovenel Moise, the subject, uh, the suspect reached out to his contacts at the DEA. OK, following this assassination. So apparently he gets arrested. So he's a former informant of the DEA. So he calls the DEA, try to apparently try to get him out of this fix or something, uh, calling for help. A DEA official assigned to Haiti urged the suspect to surrender to local authorities. And along with a U.S. State Department official provided information to the Haitian government that assisted in the surrender and arrest of the suspect and one other one other individual. The DEA did not name the suspect, but two law enforcement uh, officials identified him as Joseph Gertrand uh, Vincent. Now, federal court records show that uh, uh, Vincent 
was arrested in November 1999 and charged in a D.C. court with making false statements on his passport application by giving an incorrect name and place of birth. He was sentenced to two years probation. Okay, sentenced to two years probation. Before his probation ended, Vincent was ordered to uh, live in a community correction center in Florida for violating the terms of his sentence. All right, so uh, we know President Moise was killed July 7th, uh, Wednesday, July 7th, after a group of assassins ambushed his Port-au-Prince home and what acting Prime Minister uh, Claude Joseph uh, called a highly coordinated attack, a highly coordinated attack. All right, so we have that, we have that story uh, as well. So if there are any more important updates, we'll try to let you know what's going on there. Check out this article here from NBCnews.com that they picked up from the Miami Herald. Suspect in assassination of Haitian President Jovenel Moise is, is a former DEA source. Okay, so let me see. Post that link there. All right, now. Uh, I want to go to. I want to go back to the story dealing with uh, Jamaica. And uh, th this was a story from Reuters, also face to face Africa dot com uh, has one dealing with uh, Jamaica petitioning uh, Britain for reparations. OK. And if we look here at. Um, All right, Jamaica plans to seek reparations uh, from Britain over slavery. Now, this picture right here, if you look at this article from Reuters, okay, how's everybody doing? Uh, Shit is broadcast. Uh, Okay. Yeah, share this broadcasting on social media platforms. All right, and uh, invite your friends to tune in. Okay, so if we if we look at this piece here from uh, Reuters, there is a uh, there, there's a, a a picture here, and it shows them. Uh, throwing a statue. Uh, this is a statue is a 17th century slave trader, Edward Colston. We've talked about Edward Colston here on the show before. Um, they're throwing a statue of Edward Colston into the water after protesters pulled it down during uh, pulled uh, after protesters pulled it down and pushed it into docks during a protest against racial inequality in the aftermath of the death of George Floyd. This is in Bristol, Britain, June 7th, 2020. This is in Bristol, Britain. We know the protests 
surround the killing of George Floyd went international. And in that international protest, they tore down this statue of the 17th century slave trader, Edward Colston, and threw it into the water. Now, Jamaica plans to uh, ask Britain for compensation for the transatlantic slave trade in the former British colony. A senior government official said under uh, a petition that could seek billions of pounds in reparations. Okay. Under a petition that could seek billions of pounds in reparations. Now, uh, Jamaica was uh, center of the slave trade with the Spanish, then the British. So Jamaica becomes, and this is something that, that we deal with in the online course that I teach. We deal with Christopher Columbus, where Columbus went on his four voyages, the devastation, etc. cetera. Uh, Columbus conquers uh, Jamaica in 1494. Then it's gonna become a uh, British territory, a British colony. So, uh, the, the, the British, were, uh, the, the Spanish and the British forcibly transported Africans to work on plantations of sugarcane, bananas and other crops that created fortunes for many of their owners. Now, Olivia uh, Grange is Minister of Sports, Youth and Culture for Jamaica. And she told Reuters in an interview, she said, we are hope we are hoping for repertory justice in all means in all forms that one would expect if they are to really ensure that we get justice from injustices to repair the damages that our ancestors experienced to repair the damages that our ancestors experienced she said our ancestors were forcibly removed from their home and suffered unparalleled atrocities in Africa to carry out forced labor to the benefit of the British empire. Redress is well overdue. Redress is well overdue. Now an estimated 600,000 Africans were shipped to toil in Jamaica, according to the national library of Jamaica seized from Spain by the English in 1655. The English, as, as we talked about before and as I, and I teach in my classes, um, these European nations that previously were small kingdoms before they became countries. And then they, before that, they were they, they were uh, groups of barbarians, the Anglos, the Saxons, the Jutes, the Alans, the Picts, the Lombards, uh, the Franks, the Vandals, the Visigoths. These were groups of Germanic people, also known as barbarians. These different European groups were fighting each other for hundreds of years, killing, killing each other for hundreds of years. They organize, organized themselves into kingdoms. Then they organized themselves into nation states. And then these nation states are, are continue to fight one another. Then when these new islands, these new lands are being uh, uncovered, they're fighting each other and killing each other for the wealth that's being extracted from these new lands. So you're going to see uh, Britain. You, you see the Portuguese are the first ones involved in the transatlantic slave trade in 1441. You're going to see the Spanish right behind them. You'll see the English come in later, but then the, the British. But then they're going to take territory from the uh, 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 from the Spanish. We see this with Jamaica and, and these European nations are fighting one another. 
killing one another. They have been doing this for hundreds of years and it's going to continue as they start conquering other people's lands, uh, these non-white people, as they start conquering non-white people's lands and uh, 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 conquering, uh, colonizing parts of Africa, uh, India, all of this. We're going to see them continue to fight one another over the wealth that they are plundering. So we see that um, the, the Spanish under Columbus conquer um, Jamaica in 1494. Then the English are going to take Jamaica away from the Spanish in 1655. Okay. And Jamaica becomes a, a British colony until Jamaica became independent in 1962. The West Indian country of almost 3 million people is part of the Commonwealth and the British and the British monarch remains head of state. Now the British prohibited the, uh, the trade of African slaves in its empire in 1807, but did not formally abolish the practice of slavery until 1834 to compensate slave owners. The British government, the British government took out a $20 million pound loan, a very large sum at the time and only finished paying off the ensuing interest payments in 2015. Okay, the British government paid the slave owners when the slaves were freed, when the British, when the slaves in the British territories were freed in 1834. 1807, Britain outlaws the international transatlantic slave trade, which meant they outlawed bringing Africans into British territories to enslave them. The U.S. does the same thing uh, in 1808. The U.S. outlaws the international transatlantic slave trade in 1808. OK, but slavery was allowed to continue in uh, Great Britain until 1834, uh, the enslavement of African people. And it was allowed to continue in the U.S. to 1865. If we look at this piece here from. Um, Atlanta Black Star dot com. Atlanta Black Star dot com. This deals with how reparations were paid to British slave owners. Okay, uh, Britain compensated 46,000 slave owners, but would not pay slavery reparations. David Cameron builds Jamaican prison. This is from September 30th, 2015. And this dealt with the, uh, this dealt with the, the Jamaicans in, in 2015 demanding an official apology for slavery and also demanding that um, uh, uh, Britain pay reparations to Jamaica. Okay. This is what we're talking about in the article from the, from uh, the guardian. So read this one here from AtlantaBlackStar.com. Britain compensated 46,000 slave owners, but would not pay slavery reparations. David Cameron builds Jamaican prison instead. Then if we look at the uh, piece again here from uh, theguardian.com that we talked about at the beginning of the show, uh, Jamaica should move on from painful legacy of slavery, David Cameron says. Okay. So when we go to these places and in some of the, you know, these places were beautiful, of course, before they were conquered by Europeans, but we have to understand 
what happened in these lands that oftentimes we go vacation in these islands the the the, the, the supposed to be an island paradise i guess it was a paradise before colonizers came in and colonized and killed our people and enslaved them but if we look at this piece here this is from 2015 speaking to the caribbean country's parliament the prime minister at the time david cameron struck a defiant note as he spoke of his pride that Britain had played a part in abolishing the abhorrent uh, slave trade without highlighting its historic involvement in the transfer of slaves from West Africa and ownership of slaves in the Caribbean, like Jamaica. Okay. It's like, it, it's like when people, you know, you have certain people, they want to talk about the abolitionist movement during slavery, but don't want to talk about, the atrocities of African people being enslaved. Yeah, it was good that you had abolitionists, but why were they enslaved in the first place? So he called for the two countries to move on from this painful past and continue to build for the future. Well, David Cameron is easy and, and Queen Elizabeth and all the other royals and Prince Harry and everybody else. It's easy to move on when you have something to move with. Because a lot of the wealth that you have was built on the backs of exploiting African people. So it's easy to move on when you have something to move with. Now, his trade trip to Jamaica in 2015 was the first uh, was the first for 14 years by a UK prime minister. It had been overshadowed by the issue of slavery. David Cameron was warmly received by a military band playing God Save the Queen on arrival at the airport and received a huge hug from the country's prime minister, Portia Simpson Miller. However, during the trip, high profile politicians and campaigners drew attention to a distant relative of David Cameron's, General Sir James uh, Duff, General Sir James Duff, who was compensated for losing 202 Jamaican slaves in 1833 when the slave trade was abolished. See, Great Britain paid about 46,000 slave owners reparations, but they didn't pay reparations to the Africans who were enslaved. He has also been pressed to atone, David Cameron at the time, British prime minister, has also been pressed to atone for slavery personally and on behalf of the UK by Bert Samuels, a member of the National Reparations Commission and Simpson Miller publicly uh, raised the issue of compensation after their bilateral talks. In response, David Cameron in, uh, initially did not address the issue of reparations or an apology telling UK media he was in the country to talk about trade and the future, just not the slave trade. But speaking to the national parliament in Kingston, he made clear, he made clear the UK wanted to draw a line under the legacy of slavery. He said, while there is indeed much to celebrate about our past, it would be wrong to do so while ignoring the most painful aspects of it, period, 
which should never be forgotten and from which history has drawn the bitterest of lessons. He went on to say, quote, slavery was was and is abhorrent in all forms. It has no place whatsoever in any civilized society. And Britain is proud to have eventually led the way to its abolition. Quote that uh, that the Caribbean has emerged from the long shadow it cast is a testament to the resilience and spirit of his people. But what about reparate? What about repairing the damage that you people did? I acknowledge that these wounds run very deep and stay very deep indeed. But I do hope that as friends, we have gone through so much together since those darkest of times, we can move on from this painful legacy and continue to build for the future. Well, hold on. Wait a second, friend. Wait, hold on. Hold on. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Hold on, hold on. See, it's easy to move on when you have something to move with. With friends like these who needs enemies. If 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 Jamaica is a friend of Britain, then why won't Britain take care of his friend economically? If Jamaica is a friend of Britain, he, he, he said, I acknowledge that these wounds run very deep indeed. But I do hope that his friends who have gone through so much together since those since those darkest of times. We can move on from this painful legacy and continue to build for the future. But see, the pain is one way. The pain is being inflicted from the British onto Jamaica. All right. So read, read the rest of this. This is from 2015. See, this is, this is why they're coming back. The Jamaicans are coming back trying to seek reparations again. Jamaica should move on from painful legacy of slavery. That that's what a friend said. This is from the guardian.com September 30th, 2015. This is the consequences and repercussions of what happened 500 years ago, over 500 years ago. Um, we talked about Hervis Rogers on yesterday's show, African-American man, ex-offender, returning citizen in Houston, Texas, released from prison 2004. He votes in uh, March 2020, Super Tuesday. He's in line for almost seven hours. He's the last person in line. Um, and, um, he was the last person in line and he did a media interview afterwards and his story went viral. As we said on yesterday's show, he's being prosecuted by Ken Paxton, the attorney general of Texas, Republican Trump supporter. His bail was set at $100,000. He's charged with two counts of illegally voting. 
He's been out of prison 16 years. He thought he could legally vote. He didn't kill anybody. Okay. They charged him with two counts of illegal voting. Each count, he can get up to 20 years in prison. In 1995, Herbert Rogers was arrested and sentenced to 25 years in prison for burglary and intent to commit theft. He was out on parole May 20th, 20, uh, May 20th, 2004, and his parole was set to end June 13th, 2020. He votes in March 2020 thinking he could legally vote. He's been out 16 years. Now he has a job. He works. He, I bet you he pays taxes. If he pays taxes and can't vote and has been out of prison for 16 years, that's called taxation without representation. That's what I call that. That's taxation without representation. Now, Rogers was one of millions of people in America without the right to vote because of laws in a number of states, including Texas, prohibiting formerly convicted felons from participating in elections while still on parole. Okay, he was uh, he was arrested on uh, last Wednesday in the South Acres neighborhood in Houston, and he voted in Harris County. But the attorney general's office is prosecuting the case in Montgomery County. Rogers, so they moved counties on and they moved it to uh, they prosecuted him in a more Republican dominated county. Uh, Rogers is charged with two counts of illegal voting. His bail set at one hundred thousand dollars. He's represented by the ACLU of Texas, okay, and Nicole DeBoard uh, Hogblah, uh, uh, H-O-C-H-G-L-A-U-B, okay, Hoglob. Um He's been, he's released on bail, okay, they put up the raised bail for him. Mr. Rogers is being held in jail on an extremely high bail amount that he cannot afford for what amounts to uh, simply attempting to fulfill his civic duty. This is not justice at ACLU of Texas legal director, Andre Segura. Because Hervis Rogers voted before his parole was scheduled to end, he was legally ineligible to cast a ballot on election day despite being registered to vote, said a spokesperson with the Harris County Attorney's Office last year in 2020. Okay, so he thought he could legally vote. All right. He wasn't purposely trying to break the law. So we talked about this yesterday and Joanne Reed uh, on the readout on July 12th did a story and she interviewed somebody from the ACLU about Hervis Rogers case. OK. And then. Um, on. Tuesday, July 13th, Tuesday, I saw this story here from. TexasTribune.org, TexasTribune.org. Civil rights attorney Lee Merritt, civil rights attorney Lee Merritt is running for attorney general of the state of Texas against Republican attorney general Ken Paxton, who is prosecuting Hervis Rogers for voting illegally, trying to get his brother 40 years in prison. Um, Lee Merritt, the nationally known civil rights attorney, is officially running for Texas Attorney General. Now, this article came out uh, July 13th, Tuesday, July 13th, 2021. 
Lee Merritt launched his campaign Tuesday morning with an, em with an emphasis on the voting rights battle, with an emphasis on the voting rights battle that prompted state House Democrats to flee the state of Texas on Monday. Now, Texas Republicans have launched an all-out assault on voting rights and uh, civil liberties, uh, Lee Merritt said in a statement, adding that incumbent Attorney General Ken Paxton and other GOP leaders are blatantly attempting to turn back progress in the Lone Star State using the familiar tactics of voter suppression, divisive rhetoric, and corporate money. Voter suppression, divisive rhetoric, and corporate money. Uh, Lee Merritt, S. Lee Merritt said, this campaign is a response from the people of Texas. Merritt said in March of 2021 that he would run for attorney general, but would make a formal announcement at a later date. Now, S. Lee Merritt, who lives in the Dallas, Texas area, is a nasty recognized, recognized for his representation of families of African-Americans killed by police, including Botham John in 2018, both in John's family in 2018. Um, he also served as co-counsel for George Floyd's family as well. And we remember both in both in John, the Dallas, Texas man uh, uh, shot dead by uh, an off duty police officer in his own apartment. Now, S. Lee Merritt's campaign announcement will come on the heels of the House Democrats leaving Texas for Washington, D.C. in a bid to deny the quorum, okay, the two-thirds majority, the quorum for the uh, Texas State House to vote on Republicans' priority elections bill. The, uh, the House is scheduled to convene at 10 a.m. on uh, uh, Tuesday uh, for the first time since Democrats voted from the state. We know that Republicans voted to uh, have the Democrats arrested, but they're out of state, so the Texas Rangers don't have jurisdiction out of the state of Texas. They voted, you know, the Republicans voted to arrest them and um, have them brought to the uh, uh, Texas uh, State House representatives uh, for the vote. So this is getting deeper and deeper each day. OK. Uh, in addition to voting rights, S. Lee Merritt's campaign said it would focus on fixing Texas failing power grid reigning in soaring property taxes, ending mass incarceration, and challenging gubernatorial overreach. Challenging gubernatorial overreach. Now, S. Lee Merritt joins Joe Jaroski, a Galveston, Texas lawyer and former mayor of the city of Galveston, Texas, in the Democratic primary against Republican Attorney General Ken Paxton. The incumbent has his own competitive primary uh, featuring challenges from uh, Land Commissioner George P. Bush and Eva Guzman, uh, a former justice on the Texas Supreme Court. OK, we have to defeat Ken Paxton and uh, uh, Lee Merritt is a brilliant, brilliant brother, brilliant attorney. We got we have to get Ken Paxton out of office in the state of Texas. All right. So read this article here. Uh, civil rights attorney Lee Merritt, a Democrat, launches campaign against Republican Attorney General Ken Paxton.
Okay. All right. All right. How's everybody doing? Okay. We've got David. We've got M. Mills. Okay. Uh, if you like this type of information, also, you can support the African History Network, dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App, dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App, and also through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. Here's our official Cash App account, dollar sign, the AHN show, S-H-O-W, and that's our official Cash App tag. Uh, it also shows my name there it says michael uh, and it shows my picture these other ones are fake african history network cash app accounts that's not me if you uh try to support us and you send it to one of these fake uh african history network cash app accounts let cash app know through the app and uh hopefully they'll refund your money okay same thing happened to roland martin as well because i talked to roland about this i sent roland the uh this graphic that i created uh i talked to roland a couple of days ago same thing happened to him they were fake uh, people set up fake uh, uh, Roland Martin unfiltered uh, cash app accounts. All right. I want to go to this um, last update here. This is dealing with the uh, 51 Democrats in the Texas uh, House of Representatives. Texas Democrats meet with support of senators in uh, uh, voting rights seeking to sustain momentum. And there's a, a piece here from the New York Times, but I also want to go to this uh, interview from, um, this is from MSNBC. There's an interview on, I forgot which show it was, uh, is Texas uh, State Representative Crockett. All right, let me see here. Just let me pull up. Let me pull this up. And there was a uh, article from the New York Times. I was looking at the updates, the uh, political updates they had. Let me pull that one up. All right, here, just a second. Let's go to the politics update. Okay, uh, Texas Democrats meet with supportive senators on voting rights seeking to sustain momentum. This is from uh, July 14th, 2021. And then I wanna pull up this clip here also. This was on, I forgot which show that was. Um, all right, hold on, let me see, where is that clip? Also, the NAACP offers bail to any Texas House Democrat arrested for blocking racist voting restrictions. We posted that article from uh, blackamericaweb.com. 
on our Facebook fan page, the African History Network today. All right, hold on, let me pull up this clip here also. Okay, we'll go to that in just a second. Uh, let's look at this article here. Uh, Texas Democrats meet with uh, supportive senators on voting rights seeking to sustain momentum. So day two of the Texas Democrats campaign in Washington to pressure Congress to enact federal voting rights protections was much like the first day, packed with meetings with supportive senators, cable television appearances, and a news conference. This time it was uh, Democratic state senators who uh, stood before uh, cameras on Wednesday inside a conference room at a Washington hotel. The event was moved indoors from outside the Capitol to avoid the midday heat to reiterate their pledge to remain outside Texas until the state's special legislative session expires next month. OK, in uh, August. OK, the uh, special uh, session expires in August. Now. Okay, yeah, that was with uh, Eamon Mohadeen, uh, Texas State Representative Jasmine Crockett spoke with Eamon Mohadeen uh, uh, today, and we're going to cue that clip up. All right. So the content, the contingent of reporters who gathered for the event was smaller than the press corps that congregated outside the Capitol a day earlier to see Texas State Representatives at their first appearance in Washington. The Democratic state senators echoed their, their state House colleagues who have blocked Republicans from doing business by denying uh, a quorum to operate in arguing that they were in Washington on a working trip, not a vacation. They're in Washington on a working trip, not a vacation, as Republicans have portrayed the trip. Now, the state House Democrats came to Washington in an effort to stop Republicans from enacting new restrictions to voting laws in Texas. The party's state senators failed to deny quorum in that chamber because four of their colleagues stayed in Austin, Texas. State Senator Royce West, one of the lawmakers who spoke in Washington, said, we're not fleeing. We're working here today. We're working here today. All right. Uh, I want to go to. And now also a delegation of, um, let's see, you had some who met with uh, other members of the group mentioned that they had met with sympathetic Democratic Senators Chuck Schumer of New York and Majority Leader Elizabeth Warren. Now, a delegation of Texas Democrats has a meeting scheduled on Thursday, July 15th, with Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia. The first session they will have with a senator who has not already committed to passing Democrats major federal voting rights bills with a simple majority rather than requiring a 60 vote threshold. One of the bills, the For the People Act, would create sweeping new federal protections for voting with a narrower bill. The John Lewis Voting Rights Act will restore key parts of the 1965 Voting Rights Act that was struck down by the U.S. Supreme Court case of Shelby County versus Holder in 2013. Okay, read this piece here for the New York Times. Texas Democrats meet with 
uh, supportive senators on voting rights seeking to sustain uh, momentum. Okay, I want to go to this clip here from um, I want to go to this clip here from uh, MSNBC. Okay, we'll, we'll let this queue up here. So the talk now is about a carve out. We talked about this briefly on yesterday's show, a carve out to the um, filibuster. And this is something that James Clyburn is pushing for. Okay, let's, let's go to this clip here, just a second. Ms. Crockett, get your thoughts on a few things. First of all, what happened in your meeting with the vice president? How have your meetings on Capitol Hill gone so far? And do you feel like the trip has been a success for what you set out to accomplish? Yeah, first of all, thank you so much for having me. Um, it was good to see Priscilla. <laughs> she was there when I loaded, loaded that flight to get out of uh, Austin. Um, but, you know, our conversation with the VP was one of inspiration. So I want to be clear. Um, we are very confident that we are on the right side of history in this particular matter and standing for voting rights. Um, the VP was very encouraging. She said that this was as American as American pie, what we were doing, defending democracy. And sadly enough, we have seen over and over in this country that every single time a certain group of people, typically people of color, start to get involved and engaged those in power get nervous and they want to try to restrict their accessibility to the ballot box. Um, so that's where we were with the vice president. As far as have we been successful, um, I really would not measure our success just this early on. Um, are we getting in? Are we having conversations? Do those conversations seem to be fruitful so far? They absolutely do. But my goal isn't necessarily just to talk the talk, but it's to walk the walk. It's the exact same reason that we walked ourselves all the way to D.C. We need this reform. If they would pass a bill next week, I promise you, we'll come home and let them pass their intentionally discriminatory uh, bill. And guess what? We'll finally have federal oversight. Texas does not know how to police itself. And that's the problem. Mm. The problem is that we don't have lawmakers that actually want to do what's right for the people. They say they love the Constitution, but they only love the Constitution if they're talking about the Second Amendment. They ignore every other amendment, especially the 15th Amendment that gave black folk the right to vote. Madam Representative, let me play for you what the senior senator from your state of Texas had to say earlier today. Listen to this. I don't see that playing particularly well at the state level, uh, where these folks are going to have to run for election in 2022, and uh, I don't think this has a good look to it. Uh, running, running away from your work is not exactly a Texas virtue. I want to give you a chance to respond to that criticism. How do you respond to it, and more specifically, the specific charge that you are running away from your work and that you should return and negotiate a compromise? Yeah, you know, it's interesting that they now want to talk about negotiating. Um, we've tried to negotiate. This isn't the first time we had a voting bill in Texas. We have been fighting with them. We have been trying to talk with them. We have been trying to reason with them. You know, earlier, after we killed that last bill, I kept saying, I don't understand why we're negotiating with terrorists in the first place. Because all we got this session was 
Republicans that decided to terrorize us with things like permitless carry, with things like abortion bills, um, saying that any and everybody could sue someone and, and get at least $10,000. Now they want to try to act like they care about teachers. Guess what? I signed on to the legislation for the 13th check. That was not a priority for the Republicans. The Republicans have the majority in the House, the Senate, and they have the governor's mansion. If they cared about teachers, they would have took care of teachers before they started worrying about everybody having guns and making Texas the wild, wild west. So I, I appreciate uh, the senator acting like he cares about my election, but I'll take care of mine. And at the end of the day, I am not running so that I can just get, win another election. I am running to represent people. I am running to protect the Constitution from all and, and, and to pre protect us from all threats, domestic and foreign. And right now, there's a domestic threat that is pending and is lurking right here in the United States, right here in the state of Texas. All right. That was state represent Texas State House Representative uh, Jasmine Crockett. All right. <laughs> that sister is brilliant. <laughs> that sister is brilliant. She said, I don't understand why we're trying to negotiate with terrorists in the first place. <laughs> All right. That was she was speaking with Eamon Mohadeen on uh, uh, MSNBC. Uh, that was from uh, July 14th. 2021, Amy Mohadeen one-on-one with Texas State Representative who broke quorum. All right, we'll post this uh, link here. Okay, lastly, um, we've got, let's see here. Let's post that. All right, th this piece here, um, James Clyburn was interviewed by Rachel Maddow Wednesday, Tuesday, Tuesday, uh, July 13th on the Rachel Maddow show. Now, and also today and yesterday, they were talking about the story that political wrote. Um, and this deals with the carve out to the filibuster. And this is what this could be a solution to get the for the people act passed as well as the George Floyd, as well as uh, not George Floyd, but as well as the uh, uh, John Lewis Voting Rights Act, because uh, it's not clear that you'll have any Republicans supporting the John Lewis Voting Rights Act either actually voting for it. Top Biden ally pleads with him to scrap filibuster for election reform. Top Biden ally pleads with him to scrap filibuster for election reform. Representative James Clyburn said it's time for the president to embrace more aggressive changes to the Senate rules. Okay. Now Biden can't, doesn't, does not have a vote in the Senate. He does not control the Senate. He can pressure senators to vote to change the rule, but he, he doesn't have a vote in the Senate. He's not in the Senate. Okay. This is from uh, July 10th, 2021. Uh, after months of setbacks and gridlock on voting rights, one of president Joe Biden's top allies in Congress is calling for him to support amending the Senate filibuster house majority whip James Clyburn, Democrat of South Carolina told Politico Biden, quote, should endorse the idea of creating a carve out, a carve out to the uh, legislative filibuster in the Senate for legislation that applies to the Constitution. In effect, the reform would make it possible for Democrats to pass their sweeping elections reform bill and another bill reauthorizing key sections of the 1965 Voting Rights Act 
with just Democratic support. That would be the John Lewis Act. Okay. So it's a sentiment. Uh, uh, Congressman Clyburn says he's shared with White House Counselor Steve Reschetti and Office of Public Engagement Director Cedric Richmond, former representative from Louisiana. Uh, he said, quote, I've even told that to Vice President, Vice President Kamala Harris, Clyburn said. Now, Biden could, quote, pick up the phone and tell Senator Joe Manchin, quote, hey, do a carve out, end quote, Clyburn said. Referring to uh, Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia, who has resisted filibuster reform. Clyburn said, I don't care whether he does it in a microphone or on the telephone. Just do it. And that's the same thing I said. said. Now, I guarantee you, they're negotiating. I guarantee you there's pressure being put on Manchin and Kristen Cinema behind the scenes. Everything that takes place is not in front of the cameras. Okay? I guarantee you that. But this carve out would be a solution to get around the filibuster and get these bills passed. Now, Clyburn's comments on the latest attempt by uh, senior Democrats to find a way around the Republican opposition to their election. Uh, to their election reform legislation, Biden, Biden himself is set to embark on a more aggressive campaign to try and move public opinion beyond those bills. OK, we know he spoke in Philadelphia on Tuesday. We know he's going to continue to talk about the need to get the For the People Act passed, as well as the um, John Lewis Act as well. OK, and uh, they met today on the infrastructure bill. He met with senators today on the infrastructure bill. But you have to continue putting pressure. But this carve out is a solution to get around the filibuster. OK. Uh, but the president's ability to directly combat restrictive voting laws being considered or passed by Republican led state states across the country is limited, is limited. His party runs an evenly split 50 50 Senate and enjoys a slim house majority. It's only about six or seven. They only have about, I think, a six or seven seat majority in the house. And it's 50 50 in the Senate. You need 60 votes to get most bills passed in the Senate unless you can get it passed through the budget reconciliation process, uh, which is which you need 51 votes. It could be 50 votes plus Kamala Harris as a tiebreaker. Or if you could do a workaround, do a carve out to work around the filibuster, then you just need a simple majority, 51 votes. So 50 votes plus the tiebreaker of Vice President Kamala Harris. Other than that. You need 10 Republicans to vote for any bill if you need 60 votes. So President Joe Biden himself has has so far expressed little desire to change the legislative filibuster to the degree likely needed to pass more of his agenda. Adding to the hurdles are recent Supreme Court rulings that weaken the Justice Department's ability to sue states for election laws deemed racially discriminatory. OK, but the carve out maybe something that you can get support on from both Biden and um, Joe Manchin. All right. Cause that that's the way to get these bills passed. We have to get these bills passed by any means necessary. Uh, read this article from political.com top Biden ally pleads with him to scrap filibuster uh, for election reform. Okay. 
So be sure to register for the 10 week online course uh, that I teach on Sundays. Uh, so we, this class just started up and meet Sundays, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. Uh, Kemet, one of the original names for Egypt, meaning land of the blacks. Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. We deal with ancient Africa. We deal with the Nile Valley region of Africa, what it introduced to the world. We deal with uh, the 800-year the occupation of Europe by the Africans known as the Moors and what they took into Europe. Next, next class is Sunday, July 18th, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. All the sessions, we do the classes live. All the sessions are recorded. So you, they're archived. You can go back and watch them over and over again. Uh, on the homepage of our re website, click on register here, then click on the next page, which says enroll. You can enroll in the course. It's regularly $130 on sale, $80. As soon as you register, you can start watching the archive content. You can watch the class we just did this past Sunday. And uh, you'll be ready, ready for this Sunday's class. Okay, we have to get out of here. Um, remember, at the African History Network, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world. Because right now it's correct wrong behavior. It's not over till we win. We'll count it forever. And we'll talk to you. Uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace. On Purpose Television Network. Yes, Black on Purpose Television Network. All black, all positive, all the time. The largest black-owned streaming television network in the world. Bringing our people together worldwide. Controlling our messages our story, our way. Black TV, the way it should be. Black music, black history, and more. 30 plus channels, thousands of shows. Black on Purpose Television Network, subscribe now. Gain knowledge in minutes from insightful summaries of progressive and socially conscious books. Blacklisted gives you access to curated content that'll satisfy your curiosity to learn and understand different perspectives. Empower yourself through inspirational and actionable ideas. It's easy to read or listen to on the go. Blacklisted. Empower yourself. Start your free trial today. For 25 years, the Black History 101 Mobile Museum has carried on the rich legacy of the Black Museum movement in America by showcasing original artifacts of the Black experience at colleges, universities, K-12 schools, corporations, libraries, conferences, and cultural events, making it the most traversed Black History mobile exhibit in American history. Dr. Khalid El Hakim is the founder of the Black History 101 Mobile Museum, and he is a highly sought after public speaker on topics of black history, social studies, education, museum studies, hip hop and race relations. Dr. Khalid was named among the change makers for NBC Universal's Erase the Hate campaign and listed as one of the 100 men of distinction for black enterprise. He recently founded the Michigan Hip Hop Archive on the campus of Western Michigan University. The Black History 101 Mobile Museum is currently scheduling in-person and virtual exhibits nationwide. 
For more information, please contact Dr. Khalid Al-Hakim directly at 313-645-4197, 313-645-4197, or visit their website at blackhistorymobilemuseum.com. That's blackhistorymobilemuseum.com. You can also email him at bhistory101 at yahoo.com, bhistory101 at yahoo.com. We all know the cannabis industry is headed toward an uprise in the past decade. What happens when there is a brand that brings this uprise in a blow? The cannabis industry welcomes her uprise. Hustle her hemp. Delivering excellence with pride is her watchword, and how you choose to embrace it makes it a priority. From cultivating rich cannabis into exquisite and tastefully finished CBD products to delivery, Hustler Hemp leaves no stone unturned. Hustle Her Hemp's mission is to empower women of color by building business and creating legacies, uniting beauty, health, and business. We are a pure definition of how we want the CBD industry to become in the future. While we are redefining innovation, we bring the same energy to improving the quality of life. Hustle Her Hemp is the new Uprise. Hi, I'm Joel Wilson, President and CEO of JCW Computer Consulting, LLC, a technology implementation firm with over 20 years of satisfying customers. We offer a full spectrum of industry top-tier branded services. We are an authorized partner or reseller for Lenovo, Zoom, T-Mobile, Microsoft 365 and Surface tablets, Google Workspace, Acer, Asus, Samsung, PCmatic security software, and many more. Our online store features laptops, Chromebooks, computers, printers, accessories, and software. Businesses, take advantage of our free one-hour Zoom tech consultation and know we offer top nationwide high-speed internet service providers, voice over IP, and cellular phone services. Home users, don't miss our current in-stock Chromebook inventory. Please visit us at jcwcc.com or call 215-879-6701. 